Yeah, isn't it great to be able to worship the Lord Jesus in a free country where we don't have to worry about soldiers breaking in and carting us off to prison or uh, giving us a hard time or even being killed in some places? You can't go over to Saudi Arabia and proclaim the gospel without putting yourself in grave danger. And uh, why do we do this? Why do we worship Jesus? We worship Jesus because of who he is. Isaiah was right when he said, his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And uh, we know that he is all those things. And he himself said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Uh, we've been, my family has been blessed. We've been able to travel in uh, many different countries. We've been in India, in uh, Tanzania, uh, in Russia three times, uh, having an opportunity to share the gospel of, of Christ with, with people. That was our purpose. We wanted the people to get to, to know Jesus so that they might receive the forgiveness of their sins and go to heaven. But there are, uh, for example, uh, 1.9 billion Muslims in the world. That's a whole lot of people, and they do not know Jesus. They deny the crucifixion of Jesus. They say it was probably Judas who was substituted at the last moment because God would not deal with one of his prophets in such an ignoble manner. But we know that Jesus claims a uniqueness for himself that he does not share with anyone else. He says very clearly, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, having gone into the mission field uh, is all well and good because the Lord says, uh, be my disciples in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. But uh, there is work to be done here too. And we have a mission field right here in Waterbrook surrounding the church. So Pastor Mark preached a great sermon on evangelism last week and uh, it stirred my heart. And uh, I know it stirred uh, 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 Patrick's heart also. And so we got together and we said, you know, we know we're going to be teaching on evangelism. Patrick's going to be teaching, I believe, on Wednesday night when uh, uh, Tom is over in uh, Tanzania. So we want to uh, explain how to do it and uh, tell you a little about the theology of evangelism and, and uh, how to actually share so uh, we prayed, we talked with Pastor about it, and we went out yesterday armed with tracks, armed with about 10 loaves of bread, thanks to Tina, who uh, provided that for us, and uh, with uh, being covered tremendously by the prayers of the people, by friends and members of this church, and the receptivity that we found in this neighborhood. We started right over here on Water's Edge and went down and, and talked with people, and we had no doors slammed in our face. We had no uh, uh, nasty calls. We talked with two Buddhists, a member of the, uh, 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 the Greek Orthodox Church, uh, several different denominational uh, people, an atheist, an agnostic, probably up to uh, 12 to 15 people, I'd say, right, uh, Patrick? And uh, God was very gracious uh, to us, and we... Uh, did not simply say, well, we want to invite you to our church. We did have an advantage because I live in the subdivision and said, hey, I'm your neighbor. And uh, our church is right on the edge of the subdivision. And, uh, but we shared the gospel with them. We didn't want to just say, hey, we want you to come to church. We said, we want to tell them about Jesus so that they would know. 
And uh, sometimes you're just planting a seed, sometimes you're watering, and sometimes you will see it happen right there in front of you. I recall doing some street evangelism in uh, Columbia, Missouri one time when uh, we shared the gospel with a guy, and the guy fell to his knees right in front of us and received Christ as Savior. Uh, but sometimes you might have to talk with someone five times or six times, and uh, eventually, through the grace of God, they will receive Jesus. So we went out there, and uh, we are thrilled to do it, and uh, uh, Tina is going to join us next week, so we're going to have two guys and a, a woman. We want to do this on a regular basis, and we covet your prayers in this endeavor. We want to see the church grow, and uh, God will work that out, because it's his desire to see all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. So I want to ask uh, Patrick to come up here and uh, share just a little bit, give his perspective of it. Patrick has written a book on evangelism, so he was a great partner in going out there, and uh, we saw some really, uh, really good things happen, and uh, we thank God for it. Well, thank you, Herb, and uh, it was a great privilege, and I think most of all, we really thank all of your prayers. <laughs> I really felt that. It was really great. I'll just share real quick because we need to get to the message with Mark, but uh, there was one particular gentleman who uh, I asked him several times during the conversation. I said, what are God's requirements to get to heaven? And I kept pressing him on that. And after he spoke for about five minutes, I said, you know, it's interesting. I'm, I'm asking you in the context of God in heaven and Jesus because you claim to be a Christian about what God's requirements to get to heaven. And you just spent five minutes telling me about yourself. You never once mentioned God or heaven or Jesus or anything. So hopefully I put a stone in his shoe and gave him something to think about. But uh, so we, we appreciate all your prayers and we appreciate the support that Tina gave us with the bread. And uh, it it's, was, was a very uh, fruitful time. And we thank you for that. Pastor Mark. Oh, it's been a good morning already. <laughs> Some of you will remember the Sunday that we had the Gideon's minister come out here and share with us as a congregation. Gideon's is that group of people that place the Gideon's Bibles in hotel rooms. But they do so much more. Their goal is to get the message about Jesus Christ Tom, who represented Gideon's International that day, gave me a book called Share Jesus Without Fear. I didn't open it until this week while preparing this message. Timely. The writer, Bill Fay, has quite a testimony. One person wrote about this book. It began with a jaw-dropping story of William Fay. Once a money-driven businessman with mafia ties who ran a house of prostitution until it was raided by police. Facing the threat of jail time, they turned to Jesus Christ for redemption and ever since has been turning others to him as well. Share Jesus Without Fear relays Faye's passionate, effective instructions on how to share the love of Jesus Christ with anyone, 
without feeling intimidated on either side of the conversation. Bold and joyful, the outreach movement continues without fear. But all too often, there is Christian silence. Bill Fay speaks about this. He says, watch out for the signs of a dying Christian life. Ask yourself, am I sharing my faith? Do I have only Christian friends? Am I building relationship with the lost and those separated from Christ? He says, if you and the members of your church have forsaken your duty to reach back into the world, I can promise you, your church will start to divide, to backbite, and to fight over non-essential Christian issues. One church I candidated at many years ago fought and nearly split over what color they were going to replace the carpet with. Bill Fay says, you will become keepers of a Christian aquarium, not fishers of men. He adds, if you choose not to evangelize, your church will fossilize. Well, what stops people from sharing? I'm afraid of being rejected, is one. There's no stronger pain than the pain of rejection. At least, that's how Bob saw it. His fear of rejection caused him to never reach back to get to know his daughter, Carrie. He hadn't seen her since he left his wife, her mother, some 15 years earlier. He was so fearful that she would reject him just at the sight of him, he never reached out to her. What can help Bill, this man, Bob, what can help Bob be able to overcome that fear of rejection and restore his family? And what could help Bob overcome his fear of evangelism and be able to share the gospel? How can a man like Bob conquer that fear? How can a man like Bob succeed at evangelism? Just what is successful evangelism? For one thing, it's not a contest. It has nothing to do with bringing anyone to the Lord. We need to get away from the mentality that we win them. People don't put their faith in Christ because we force them to believe. They put their faith in Christ because God uses us to point out the truth. God wants us to be faithful. God wants us to share about his son, Jesus Christ. 
It's not you they reject when they reject the message. If they reject something, they're rejecting Jesus, and they're rejecting the Word of God. Therefore, you didn't fail in your obedience. Even if the way you share the message is not the best, I mean, we fumble through the gospel message and we always tend to beat ourselves up if somebody doesn't accept Christ. But you didn't fail in your obedience if you shared the gospel. Even if maybe you didn't do it the best. God can use that. You planted a seed, somebody else will water it. God grants the increase. What God cannot use is our silence. Another reason, I don't know enough. (laughs) I bet if I were to ask this congregation, all of us, do you feel like you know enough? Probably all of us would raise our hands, I don't feel like I know enough. But imagine if you were to share your faith with a man like Nate. Nate is in the upper one percentile in intelligence, and he reads 1,250 words a minute with total recall. He took the test, the Mensa test, the test for genius IQs, and not only did he finish in the top of that, but he also found an error in the test. Nate is a hard case. He's been an atheist. He was an atheist for about 20 years. You know what his hobby was? Tearing apart religions. What kind of man do you think God used to witness to Nate? A fellow genius? A Nobel Prize winner? (laughs) No. God used John a Blackfoot Indian with a 12th grade education. They were in the military, and Nate was in the bus with John, and um, the other people on the bus would tease John for being a Christian, and they would take his Bible and throw it out the window. John didn't complain, but he went and retrieved the Bible and got back on the bus. And Nate, this genius, Nate turns to him and he says, why do you let those clowns treat you like that? John simply said, sir, I'm a Christian. Well, that got Nate's interest. So he decided he would test this guy. So he says, John, you mean you really believe that stuff in the Bible? Like a whale vomited a man out of his mouth? John's response was, yes. Why do you believe that? Because my Bible tells me so. And whatever question Nate would pepper this man with, John would always respond with yes or no. And the reason, because my Bible tells me so. You know what? This shook Nate because he couldn't shake this man's simple faith. And so, when he went home that evening, 
he borrowed a neighbor's Bible. And over the weekend, he read it. And he found something in this borrowed Bible that really stood out to him. It was surprisingly Job chapter 5, which says, I would seek God, and unto God would I commit my cause, who does great things and unsearchable, marvelous things without number. Nate could not ignore that truth, and it transformed his life. Nate is now one of the best defenders of the Christian faith, according to Bill Fay. A question. Did John know as much as the man he's witnessing to? No, of course not. Bill Fay adds this, I find the excuse, I don't know enough, usually comes from someone who's been a Christian for 10 years or more. When I meet someone who tells me this, I like to tease him by saying, the problem is, you've been sitting around accumulating information for so long You're spiritually constipated. (laughs) You need to get rid of some of that information. My comment is, you may never feel like you have enough information or enough training, but don't let that stop you. If somebody asks you a question or says something to you and, and you don't have an answer for it, Just be honest. Tell them, you know, I really don't know the answer to that. That's a good question. But let me go find out. And then what you do is you set up the next appointment to meet together. What you've just done is set up a new opportunity to share the gospel. One more thought. It may seem counterintuitive, but the best evangelists are often the ones who are brand new in their faith. They've just recently received Christ. They're eager to go out and tell people, boy, I didn't know about this. Let me tell you about it. They're excited about their new faith. Let's be more like them. Now, here's another objection. I'm afraid of losing my friends and relatives. This is an understandable fear. You're not alone. We all have similar feelings. Last week, we asked the question, is evangelism unloving? And we concluded that after you look at the Bible, evangelism is the best way to love someone. It's the most loving thing we can do. When we tell someone about how Christ died on the cross, rose again, so that they can have eternal life, and if they believe in Christ, That's what they receive, eternal life, life in heaven forever. But even more than that, it's not something you have to wait until you die to get. It's something we have right now. The moment we place our faith in Christ, we have a new relationship. God is our Father. 
Jesus is like our big brother. And we can go to God with any care, any concern we have, because we have instant access to the throne room of God. He loves us. And isn't that a great thing to introduce somebody to? My hope is that we will allow love to prevail and fear to recede. That our love and compassion for our lost friends will motivate us to allow God to use us in their lives. How many of your friends know you are a Christian but don't know how to get to heaven? If that's the case, it very likely is they are waiting for you to tell them. A final objection. I don't know how. Sherry tried to witness to her parents. She got flustered as her dad resisted. Finally, her mother says to her dad, let the poor gal share. But by then, as she opened up her Bible and tried to share the gospel, she found it was just a blur of tears. She didn't know how to, to get started. Perhaps you were like Sherry, always wanting to share your faith, but never knowing how. We will give you some pointers to help. Now, here in this church, we do things decently and in order. Our Sunday time of worship follows a normal pattern. Today is not normal. We are going to do something different. And I hope you won't leave today thinking, boy, that pastor did something and it made me feel uncomfortable. I really didn't like it. I hope that's not the case. What I'm about to ask you to do is a short role play. I believe it will help with that last point. I don't know how. The role play will involve you speaking to someone, and it will take about five minutes. And then we will resume the message. The reason I want you to speak, and don't worry, we're going to put the initial things to say up on the screen, but the reason I want you to speak is the average person only remembers about 10% of what they hear. And what we're about to share with you is a bridge to get us into the gospel with our friends, with our relatives. And I want every Christian to remember this. If you will, at this point, get in a group of two of you or at the most three. Would you do that now? All right. I'm assuming that everybody's in a group of two or three. You will read from the screen, and so we'll learn what to say. To help you with sharing the important message of the world, we ask, where do we start? How about 
at the beginning. Once you've made a friend, and you'll remember last week we said you can make a friend in a few sentences. You can establish a rapport, a mutual bond, and once you do that, you're free to share. Or maybe if you address a person you already know, a relative or a friend that you've had for a long time, you don't have to do that. Either way, once you have this bond, you begin. And you transition into sharing Christ with this. If you were to die today, where would you go? Where would you spend eternity? And then stop talking and listen. This is what I'm hoping all of us will be doing in the near future. So I'm going to ask you to do that now. Who's the one person who's going to read that line first? Raise your hand. Okay? All right? Do that now.
your microphone has died. Sorry. All right. Jesus is arrested at night, and he is tried in a series of court proceedings, all of which are illegal. Imagine if somebody arrested a prominent figure today, and before the newspapers could be out, before the news could be out, he's been tried in a series of trials and sentenced to be executed, all designed to prevent any uprising from people who might support him. Finally, Jesus is marched to Golgotha, the place of the skull, and placed on a cross for execution. He dies in our place. For us, he receives the penalty of our sins so that we can receive his righteousness and go to heaven. Then the grand climax, chapter 28. Jesus rises from the dead and appears to his followers. Now, how does this gospel end? What are the last words in this story? Listen up. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the end of the age. So how does this gospel end? It ends with this important news of his death, his resurrection, and then an exhortation to go out. Where? Into all the world. That's his plan going forward. Well, how does the gospel of Mark end? The gospel ends with the death of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, and an exhortation to go tell. Mark 16, go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. How does the gospel of Luke end? The Gospel of Luke ends with the death of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, and an exhortation to go tell. Luke 24, verse 47. Forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are my witnesses of these things. How do you think the Gospel of John ends? With his death, his resurrection, and an exhortation to go tell. <laughs> Here it is. Jesus said to his disciples, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. How does the book of Acts 
match up with the Gospels. When an author writes a book, and he's finished the book, but there's more to the story, what does he write? A sequel, right? Well, Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke, but he had more to tell. It's the so what about the Gospel. And so he writes the book of Acts. And it matches up well with what he's been saying. Chapter 1, verse 6. Then they, the disciples, gathered around Christ and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, It's not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. What can we gather from these five books? There are just five books that tell about the story of Jesus, his words and his works. And all five agree on these things. Christ died, Christ rose, go tell. Would you say that with me? Christ died, Christ rose, go tell. Conclusion, we're to be witnesses for Jesus, to share with others just what the gospel shares. The good news that Jesus died and rose again and that our sins are paid for. And then you can add your own part of the story to that because the idea is this has impacted you and you can share the difference it's made in your life with the implication that it can also make a significant difference, a positive difference in their life as well. We're trying to guide people in some basics on what to share. So finally, what does God intend people's response to be to the death of Christ and the resurrection of Christ? Our response is to receive. John 1.12 Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Our response is to trust, Romans 4, 5. However, to the one who does not work, but trusts God, who justifies the ungodly. And also, 1 Peter 2, 6. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion. Do you all know who the stone is? Jesus a chosen and precious cornerstone, and anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Our response is to believe. John 5, 24. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. 
our response is faith. Again, Romans 4, 5. However, to the one who does not work, but trusts God, who justifies the ungodly, their, what? Faith is credited as righteousness. These words are all speaking of the same act of trusting in Christ and his death on the cross and his resurrection for eternal life. Believe, trust, faith are synonyms. They mean the same thing. So how do we encourage others to take that step? One way is to ask them to write down anything that's keeping them from trusting Christ. You know, they may have something that is keeping them, like, I'm afraid what my mother would say, or I don't think I know enough, or whatever it is. If you can encourage them to write it down, then you can see it, they've expressed it, and you can address it with them. And hopefully answer their objections and bring them to the point where they're willing to place their faith in Christ. Finally, I like to lead them in prayer. Now, I stress that prayer does not save. Jesus saves us. But prayer is a way to underscore in our minds as we address the Father, the good thing that he has done for us. Now, asking that we do this, what we share today, can trigger our fear. But remember the book title. Share Jesus without fear. One thing Bill Fay tells us can help. You can't fail as a witness if you are obedient. Here it is again. You can't fail as a witness if you are obedient. Would you say that with me? You can't fail as a witness if you are obedient. Experience the joy of sharing Jesus without fear. If you try and you are an obedient child of God, that pleases our God. I like that. And knowing that attempting to obey and witness for Christ means that we will have exceeded already, regardless of the person's response. So do what you can do and leave the rest in God's hands. I want to close today with a question. Do you believe in answered prayer? <laughs> I do. Years ago, I knew that our weakness, like almost every other church, is that it is hard for people to share and that we weren't doing a very good job of it. And I figured the answer to that is that God gives certain people the gift of evangelism. So I began to pray God would send us a person with that gift. And he did, years and years ago. He sent a man named Tim Schaefer. Bless him, he took people out, usually one at a time, to share here in Argyle. He did that twice a week for a year and a half. <laughs> then God had other things and he moved to take a job in Longview. And so occasionally from that time, I've been praying, God, 
please send an evangelist. Well, God didn't send an evangelist. He sent two. (laughs) Herb Swanson and Patrick Foss. And I just got to tell you, I am so excited to see God at work. Amen? And to see you guys going out into the community and challenging us to do that and modeling it for us. So let's be in prayer for these guys and those that go with them that they would be able to share the gospel. And not only just share the gospel, but help us to do it as well. Let's pray. Father God, this is an unusual message, I know. But Father, an important one. I know this is near and dear to your heart because it's about your son. It's about the son of God whom you sent to be a payment for our sin. Lord, now that we have been redeemed and we have a home in heaven, we have forgiveness and we have a relationship with you, Lord, it is an important message for us to share. And I truly believe that when we do that, you bless us. So my father, our father, I ask that you would help us. We pray for Herb. We pray for Patrick. We pray for any that go out with them that they would be able to be successful in getting the message of Christ out. And we pray, Father, that we might be able to see the fruit of that. And especially, Father, that we would begin to catch the vision and we too would do it as well. I ask this, Father, in your precious Son's name. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Mark. He's going to be back to close our service in just a minute, so just hold on to that mic. Um, in the meantime, we're going to stand and we're going to sing, Shout to the Lord. So would you stand with